Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. My name is Alexa Dat, and I will be your host. Producer Kyle is here, and we are also joined by Super Bowl champion, NFL guard, and New York native, Willie Colon. Hi, Willie. Hey, 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 hey. Thanks for being here. Yeah, on a Sunday. Yeah, on a Sunday, and you're in your Sunday vest. You look great. I know. Me and, LA, me and my fiance went to church. How was church? Church is always good. It's always good because we're usually late, so we get in, we get there right on time for showtime. Yeah. With a good word, and then we're usually out the door, so we did get to the... Okay. And it worked out. Do you feel, uh, do you have like a different sense on Sundays when you walk around because you came from church than you do the rest of the week or you carry that with you through the rest of the week? No, I feel like I go into church like feeling like, oh, man, I'm coming to get the word, kind of get my, my blessings on and kind of just kind of regroup. And then as soon as we have brunch with the family, we're right back to cussing and being devil. So <laughs> it's, uh, but that's, no, we enjoy church and we have a great time. And uh, me and my family definitely believe in the Lord and. You know, it's a good time for us to come together and kind of just say thank you. Well, I'm sure a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today are influenced by your faith. Sure. So let's start with your roots. Black Puerto Rican from the Bronx. You are literally so New York. I'm extremely New York. That is like super <laughs> New York, right? And so when I go to Google you, though, right. uh, a different Willie Colon comes up. The salsa legend, yes. Yeah. The Willie Colon, yep. And so how often do you get confused for him? All the time. <laughs> Especially, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I'm guess I'm... I don't consider myself a star by no means. However, if you talk to people who are 40 and over, they hear my name, they're like, oh, the salsa singer. And you talk to anybody <laughs> 30 and younger, they're like, oh, the football player. Right. So it's, it's, weird. it's, it's a generational thing. So it's cool, but it's, uh, I give all homage to him because he's, and my father, because obviously my father gave me the name, but uh-huh. um, he's the one that kind of made it to Hollywood Light. So the Willie Colon is the salsa singer, and I'm just if you were the one carrying a torch, okay. so, trying to keep our name alive. So we had Victor Cruz on the podcast at one point, and there's this amazing Carl, car salesman who's also on Twitter who uh, is named Victor Cruz. Okay. And I played him the car commercial from this guy, and it's literally like a local Spanish guy who's like got the lingo down. I mean, like car salesman to a T, and Victor was dying. Victor was like, that guy, he, we would get confused all the time on Twitter. Oh, like really? nobody they, like nobody knows who's who. And yeah. he's like, I'm all the time. People are hitting me up like, hey, can I buy cars? Well, that's what, happened with, that's what happened with Willie, uh, Willie Cologne, the Willie Cologne. I like to say he's the the because he's older <laughs> than me. But I was on Twitter, and he reached out to me. And so me and my lady was laying in the bed, and I'm like, these guys playing around. Could this be really the Willie Cologne? And he was asking me because he heard about me having knee issues, and he knew that you know we shared names. His family were, uh, you know, supporters of mine, and fans of mine. Uh-huh. And I'm like, is this who said? She's like, yeah, this is my number. He gave me his number, and I called him, and we we talked for like an hour, and I, you know, gave him some uh, tips to a doctor that I was seeing, and. He ended up going to see the doctor, and we ended up having dinner the next week. Oh, my God. And we went to you guys some, are best friends. But this is a story. So we went to a Spanish restaurant. I think it was on 105th. Mm-hmm. Really good Spanish restaurant. And my family's there, and I walk in. And so the waiter's like, oh, Willie, you know, this is Willie Colon. And the manager's like, no, that's, that's not Willie <laughs> So they're like, no, that's, that's Willie Colon. So they're like, no. So the manager's like, it's fine. Just sit, sit, sit him and his family down. And then the Willie Colon came in, and everybody from the kitchen ran out just to see him. <laughs> so it was it was humbling and great and, and nice all in one one in a little uh, dinner. But it was fun. We I gave him my jersey. He gave me a shirt of one of his historic album covers, uh, and it was good. We talked shop for a little bit, and uh, we haven't kept in touch lately. But I'll, I'll be sure of reaching out to him soon. So that's awesome. Do you enjoy his music? Like do you do you? I grew up listening to him, Hector Laveau, oh, uh, wow. Celia Cruz, my father. 
play their music, you know, all the time. And we used to go to the Grand Concourse in the Bronx when they used to have the these little parades and these little day festivals, uh, Hispanic day festivals. And they used to jam out. And I mean, my brother, you know, because, you know, we didn't, my father didn't teach us Spanish because it was a language barrier for him. And he wanted me and my brother, like, he didn't want me and my brother to go through what he went through as far as learning a language and trying to figure out what's what. And he's like, listen, learn English. You live in America, learn English. But it kind of is bad because when they hear Cologne, people talk to me in Spanish right away. Right and I'm away. like, I don't know. And they're like, what? So um, I wish he did tell us. He would have taught us Spanish. And um, so it is what it is. Do you feel like because you don't speak Spanish, like Victor Cruz gets like the Puerto Rican New York athlete yeah. Fame, yeah. right? Do you feel like because you don't speak Spanish, you don't get as much of that, you know, that culture? You, like, no, because I think I, I, I'm, I'm starting to find out more kids in my generation don't really speak Spanish, uh -huh. um, but a lot of them do. And it, so it's definitely 50-50. Uh -huh. So some people sympathize with me and then others are like, oh, you ain't no real Puerto Rican if you can't speak Spanish. And I'm <laughs> like, what? Um, but I, it's my life goal to learn the language and, and to speak fluently. Me and my fiance both because... We want our kids to be bilingual, and you can't have the last name Cologne and not speak nothing. You can't. All I know is Banyo and and the little stuff like that, and, and it's it's very generic. You just said that very Spanish, by the way. <laughs> right. I know, but it's it's. I, I just need to. I need to. I need to get on it. So, okay. ASAP. All right. So that's a goal. It is. It's a life goal. Is it like a Rosetta Stone something? Are you gonna get it? I had Ros I had Rosetta Stone. My mom had brought it for me, and I had the headset, and I'm in a computer, and I'm doing well. And then it just, I, I just had too much going on. I just totally went left. So yeah. I need to have like a tutor or somebody to conversate and kind of break things down for me. So that's, that's my next step. All right. Well, I know some people I minored in Spanish. Really? And I studied abroad in Spain. So you do college. know? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I can help you guys out if you guys yeah. need one. Yeah. Let me know. We'll, uh, we'll work on that. So let's talk about growing up in the Bronx. Sure. What was growing up like? Well, I grew up in the South Bronx. Uh, I went to, I'm from Melrose Projects at 156th Street between Morris and Cortland. Um, when I grew up, it was a very drug play time, plague. I mean, the whole neighborhood was infested with drugs. Was, you know, New York itself was, you know, it was kind of one of those crazy times. So I saw a lot early. I heard a lot early, and I grew up uh, in an environment where you kind of had to really stick stick to yourself and protect your family. And um, I had a mother who suffered from lupus, and I had a family who, you know, our whole support system is each other. You know, you just... We, we don't move unless the other one moves, and that's how, you know, we're still like that. I just came from brunch, and we were all together. Uh, so we're, we're, that's how I survived because of my family. And, um, you know, the Bronx was a tough place. I grew up fighting, and I played sports, and everything that came along with being into projects, if you will. I was a part of that culture, and uh, so it, was, it, was, it, was, it made me who I am. How did you get into football originally? Well, I loved Lawrence Taylor. I was a big Lawrence Taylor fan. I was a big Giants fan. Um, my family, uh, especially my father, didn't know anything about football because he's from Puerto Rico. All he knew was boxing and basketball and, and baseball. So uh, coming to him, you know, action to – and he loved sports. He was a, he was a guy's guy, but he mm -hmm. just didn't play it. And so me and my brother, you know, we was like, we want to play football. And he was just like, well – and especially it was tough because now, you know, they have the Harlem Jets. They have a lot of other peewee programs. They didn't have that when I was growing up. So it was just basketball, basketball, basketball. And then when I got to high school, I was like, I'm playing football. Like, I'm, I was just the most aggressive human being on the court at all times. So my father was like, we got to get a helmet on your head. So <laughs> uh, freshman year, it, it started there and it kind of took off. And Cardinal Hayes is where you went to high school. Went to Cardinal Hayes High School, yeah. right in the Grand Concourse. Uh, then later on to Hofstra University in Long Island. 
and I was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the fourth round. What was high school like for you? Because you're, you know, you want to play football. You played basketball your whole life growing up. Right. You want to play football. You're kind of making this transition, and you, you're going to a very football-oriented high sure. school. Uh, what was that like? What were the guys like? How was, you know, coach and everything like that? I feel like kids today are so spoiled because I can remember, you know, first of all, I, I missed uh, freshman orientation for football. Okay. I literally, I think the, the first week of football, I walked to my coach Jensen. I walked up to him. I was like, you know, I want to play football. And he was like, you know, he looked up to the heavens like, thank God. Like, you know, <laughs> who's this kid? And he was like, well, you got to, you know, you got to have a physical. You got to sign. You know, you just can't just show up on the field. There's, you know, the things you got to do. So I'm like, fine, I do whatever I need to do. And, uh, yeah, and he was like, well, we can't give you your pads right away. So I was like, why? He was just like, one, because, you know, we got to make sure you're in shape. You don't want you to die. You got to go through, like, a conditioning test. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. And so I go into the field, and I had, my mom had brought me this navy blue sweatsuit from top to bottom and these sneakers. And it looks like a blueberry. Yeah. I look like, you know, the beginning of Police Academy where they're all working <laughs> out in the field yeah, with Mahoney in them. And so the rest of the team's out there, and they got helmets, and they're you know, jogging and running. I'm running around doing all the calisthenics stuff with them. And... They start doing up downs. Up downs is pretty much where you you know jog in place, hit the floor, and get back up. And I'm that's and, like from the military, right? Yeah. And it, it was very much like that. And I'm just getting after it. And my coach was like, "All right, you're fine." Like, <laughs> he just kid a helmet and pads, and <laughs> and it just took off from there. And then my brother was right behind me, and then my other friends, and uh, we had a good time at Hayes. I had really good coaches. After playing in high school and college, and then in the pros, do you look back at high school and kind of like? you know, yearn for the glory days of football, kind of when it was a little simpler and not as, you know, complicated and not as, you know, it wasn't your entire life in terms of, you know, your profession and, and you rely on it financially and stuff like that, where, you know, maybe it was just kind of you getting into it, so it was a different world for you. No, I, I think I'm a purist. I, I just honestly love football for football. Okay. And I didn't, like, I didn't, I, people, I, I blow people's mind all the time when they, when they ask about my draft story. I was like, I didn't really think about the NFL. I never played football thinking about the NFL. Like, college was my NFL because like, I grew up watching the Big Ten. I grew up watching Nebraska and Miami, Michigan, where football was just, you know, put your hand in the dirt, get after it. You know, it, I was just so entrenched in that, and I loved everything about what football gave uh, to me because it was a chance for me to, one, stay out of trouble, two, kind of have uh, freedom of expression and, and be myself and kind of, you know, be around guys who love the sport just as much as me and, I tell people the wildest stories, you know, being growing up in the South Bronx, it's Hispanic, it's a Hispanic neighborhood. So we would play with kids that were fresh from the, you know, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico mm -hmm. who would line up in like soccer cleats and gold <laughs> chains and throw a t-shirt over their pads and be like, all right, Poppy, let's go. <laughs> and, it, and, and, it, and just to see the, the guys that I was just ready to play because they just love the sport. And yeah. so I've always embraced and, and, and cherished that moment of when that sandlot mentality, like, hey, it doesn't matter about the lights and the helmets and the cleats and the, you know, the Twitters and all that. It's just like, hey, roll the ball on the floor. Let's just have a good day. And so I've always cherished that. So you stayed local. You live in Jersey. Are you friends with any of your boys from high school still? Yeah, I'm a couple guys I'm still really close with. Um, I just had dinner yesterday with one of my good friends. Um, he's a Rasta, converted Rasta. Whoa. Uh, Jason Thigpen. And he's an IT guy. He's, he's extremely smart. Like, uh -huh. he's brilliant. Actually, I didn't know he was that smart until after, uh, <laughs> <laughs> until we got into adulthood. And uh, he's, uh, he's one of the guys. I'm still close with a couple guys, though. Okay, so from high school, you go to Hofstra. Hofstra, yeah. College in Hofstra. 
Bronx to Long Island. Yes. You were recruited by several other colleges. Why yeah. did you decide to stay local? Well, my mother had lupus, and at the time, she was struggling with lupus, and I didn't, uh, I had all intentions, honestly, to go to UMass. I was going to go to UMass. Mm -hmm. um, and then Hofstra, you know, they was like, hey, we want you, we love you. You know, we, we want you to come right away. And then it, it became the balance of two. And I, if, for me personally, I didn't want to go to Boston and something happened to my mother and I wasn't able to get to her. Yeah. I just knew if anything happened. And I didn't have a license, I didn't have a car, but I knew I could jump on the train and be in the Bronx in an hour. So that was, I, I felt like if anything happened to her and I couldn't get to her, that would really, that would have been bad for me. So I just, I needed to be close and I was able to have a great career. And how was Hofstra for you? Hofstra was great. I played with Marcus Colston. Yeah. Uh, I played with DeVal Ellis. Uh, Stephen Bowen, you know, who just played with me on the Jets this year, he just newly retired. So I played with a lot of great guys. Uh, it was a special time in Hofstra because the couple classes before us were really good, and there were guys who were, were kind of passed the torch. And you know, at the time when I got into Hofstra, it was the Atlantic Ten, and then when I was, I think, into my junior senior year, they, they converted over to the CAA. So it was it was a changing of times, but D1AA football and lower tier football is the foundation of sports yeah. I mean if it's very much you know those guys who come from these small schools they don't know nothing but you know meat and potatoes go to work you know they don't have you know now Nike and Under Armour is, is growing up blowing up but you know back then it was hey what you had is what you had and you just went to war with it and then you took pride in it and you cherished every day in your cleats and um, we didn't have the luxury of Penn State's and Alabama and uh, everything that comes along with being a D1A guy and a big-time guy. So um, I, I, I like to see the small small school guys win. How would you think you would have handled that, you know, big-time mentality with the bigger school plus, you know, the recruiting and all of the, the you know, endorsements yeah. and stuff like that? I, I would like to believe I would have had the will to made it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think um, the only thing I, I – probably second my second guess myself and it was the ability to probably stay as focused because you know you go to the schools you can be the best uh guy in your position but there's like five guys ahead of you who's been waiting for their chance so right. you know you can get lost in the sauce easily mm -hmm. and um so i i my path and how i made it to the nfl i think was was fate driven yeah so for sure how do you think other guys i mean these other kids right they they don't necessarily have the support group that you have yeah. and you know that you have guys out there who realize right they've been through um, you know, the different levels and who didn't have the support group and who now do, who are mentoring these younger guys. But when you have kids who get lost in the system, that's, that's a tough situation. Yeah, I, it's, it's always troubling because I feel like one thing about college sports is it kind of exposes the amateurism of what it is. Right. And, and, you know, you're taking kids from poverty-stricken neighborhoods, putting a helmet, Putting, dressing them up, giving them the best things they've never had in their life, yeah, um, and expecting to have, you know break bad habits that they had coming out of these neighborhoods, and mm -hmm. let alone when you know once their eligibility is up or they get hurt or if they're not the guy you thought they, you kind of kick them to the dirt, and I think that's extremely bad. And I, I see, you know, I've been in the league going on my eleventh year. I see guys time after time that you know don't even know how to open up a checking account. That don't even know how to you know, know what a light bill looks like or knows, you know, because so much is, you know, bump, they have bumpers all around them. They, they just like, hey, just stay in this lane. We'll take care of everything else. And then when it doesn't work or that guy doesn't produce, everybody disappears. And, I, yeah. and I'm and i I'm extremely sensitive to that. And I am and I even played NCAA and, and these big schools like Alabama is like, you know, you got a guy who you just pulled out of 
bumfuck Mississippi or bumfuck Georgia, yeah. you know, help this kid, help this man have serious life skills because his his parents may have worked a nine to five, so they don't have time to kind of teach him or kind of you know give him up to date on what how to operate as a, an adult. You know, it's up to these coaches and these programs to really help these guys out. Right. Let's and, not exploit them for their talents. Sure. Like, that, let's help them be decent human and beings. That's what it's like, all why about. Why can't that also be part of what we're doing and here? A, and a lot of these kids, and I always get annoyed with the stories. You know, ESPN especially do it sometimes. They're, you know, they'll show a hard, stricken guy who came from rough neighborhoods and they were able to excel. Yeah, but that's one guy. There's another guy who had the same story, or maybe not worse, but it's not a superstar. Who's caring for that guy? Right. You know, who's sitting down and talking to him and just checking his, uh, where his mental's at, where his feeling's at? And there's so many guys that, I, I especially coming to the league, they're so insecure, they're so vain because they want to look good on Twitter, they want to look good on IG, but inside they're so empty. You know, sometimes all ball players need is just a quiet conversation. Yeah. Just so they can get it out, you know, and stress yeah. management for an athlete is huge, and, you know, because you, you don't want to drop the ball and not make the team. You want to produce, you want to live up to your contract, you want to live up to your name. And you're doing all this at 23 years old, yeah. you know, and it's like, well, you know, you're not even, you're still a pup, and, and you may think you're a grown man, and you, but you're still a pup, and, um, you know, a lot of these kids, a lot of these guys that are coming in, you know, they need, they just need an honest platform and a blueprint of how to operate and, and not depend, and I think the NFL tries to keep financial advisors on our money guys away, mm -hmm. but it's hard, you know, and sometimes when you don't, when you don't, I'm, I was extremely guilty, when you've never had money, and you now have money where I can walk into any store in America, and I can buy Louis and get a car and do all this stuff, and everybody's telling you, well, be wisely, save your money, sure, that's all, but you're not going to perform that way, so yeah. I think the alternative advice is just really uh, having somebody in your corner who can show you, listen, this is what you're spending. Yeah. You know, you just dropped 10000 on a Friday. Yeah. Why are you doing that? <laughs> when you want to nowhere done that your sophomore year, you know, so it's just that type of realistic blueprint and honest talk that these guys really need because telling them but showing them is two different stories. You seem really passionate about this. Is this something down the road that, and, and I don't know how involved you are in mentoring programs right now, but yeah. is this something that you would want to, you know, start or take over or be, you know, heavily involved with? Or um, I think... For me, I think I'm passionate. Or raise awareness for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, raise awareness, sure. I think I'm passionate about it because I've recovered. You know, yeah. I, my rookie year, I don't, I don't know what my sign of wilderness was, but I blew it. Um, my financial advisor. And what did you blow it on? The life. Just partying, you know, just hanging out, buying stuff for the family, buying stuff. Like, just stuff. And, and it, it wasn't so much I was reckless with it. I was just not conscious of it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was able to play long enough and recover my money and kind of do better and tighten my scope up and do better. And I have a great financial advisor um, who's had extremely, uh, he deserves a award. He's had a, more than enough heart to hearts with me. <laughs> I don't think he has any more hearts. I think he just keeps, um, but he's very realistic with me. He's very honest. Like, listen, if you don't cut this down or if you don't shave this down or you just stop doing this or you don't stop doing that, you know, you're not, you may not make it. And then when you have those conversations and he looks you in your eye like, I'm doing all I can from this position. The next thing is I, I watch you, you know, he's like, I'm asleep in your room. And every time you pull out your card, I'm going to be right next to you. That's, <laughs> that's the only drastic thing he can do. Um, but it, it, it takes a lot of mentoring. It takes a lot of people to kind of, you know, and then for a man, it's, it's another thing when you're able to kind of pay for dinners and, and, and lunches and, and, have everybody sit at the table and eat the best stuff they've ever had in their life and mm -hmm. knowing that they can do it on your dime and, and your family. That's that's an ego thing. That's a man thing. And, yeah. and I was extremely uh, 
uh, that was me by far. But now I'm because of my fiance and because of my financial advisor, Tom Mannigan at UBS, um, I'm way more conscious about how I did things. But but I was all over the place for a while. So I'm I'm sensitive to why a guy may go a little crazy. Yeah. You mentioned the life. Uh, and when you say you were all over the place, did you have one specific vice? Was it watches? Was it cars? Was it anything no. specific that I lived, everything? What saved me was I didn't have anything. Uh-huh. I just ate and, and partied like a king. Uh-huh. Or I have my brother like to say, remember that um, that scene in Goodfellas when Ray Lloyd is going to jail? Uh-huh. He has his massive party in the bar, and then he sits in a limo. He goes, all right, now take me to jail. Yeah. Well, I partied like that every time <laughs> I went out to the club. And... So my brother goes, you always party like you're going away for eight years. That's, yeah. how, that's what he would say. And yeah. I'm like, because I was just in, I was just entrenched of, I love to eat good and I love to party good and I, I love to look good. Um, but I wasn't a big car, a big house. My family don't have, you know, eight man. It, I didn't do all that because I'm simplistic in a lot of aspects. But, mm-hmm. but what I like to do is what I like to do. And I don't like anybody telling me what to do. And that's, that's bad. And so... I was constantly in that fight with, you know, the people that love me the most. Like, listen, you got to slow down. You don't need to do this. You don't need that. You don't need this. And so I kind of, now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm mm-hmm. slowing myself down. But at, early, in the middle part, I was a little I was a little nutty. Oh, a stubborn young male. I've never heard that story before. Yeah, exactly. I got two young brothers, so I know exactly what that's uh-huh. like. Especially, you know, athletes. It's just, it's hard because you end up being so good at something and you're put on a pedestal right away, mm-hmm. and then there's there's just no foundation, so you fall right off. And and that's and that's another thing. You hear people say, well, you know, you should always have a plan B. Well, athletes do think about their plan B. They just don't know what it is. Right. And and that's why I think people miss the, the, miss the beat on, like, well, it, it's his fault why he had all that money. He blew it. Well, no. He just didn't know all he knew was football. And then his plan B is empty. Yeah, he wants to do five million things outside of football, but he doesn't know what he's as good as, you know, when it comes to football and what his next life could be. So it's it's a very complicated and, and, and you know, sensitive aspect of a, just an athlete's life because, you know, your days in cleats and helmets, are, can they, they're, yesterday can be all to tomorrow they can be all rather. So it's a lot. It's a lot for guys and um, I just wish people would be more sensitive and open-minded about the, the character and the human being of a player rather than the helmet and what they represent. You said you stayed close um, because of mom, and that obviously is, is a huge part of your life, uh, your mom and her illness. Do you ever have any sort of situation in your head where you think, hmm, if mom were healthy and everything went, went different, I would have gone somewhere else for school, I would have gone a completely different experience. Instead of saying local, yeah. I would have wanted to experience other parts of the, the country or, you know... A different college. Yeah, I think for me it was. I probably would have went to UMass. Um, I didn't go on to play for big school because I had bad grades, and that's one of my biggest regrets in life. I had bad grades too. Yeah, I was. I it's. It, I I'm. I'm embarrassed sometimes of it because all it was was turning in homework. I know. It wasn't. It wasn't it, about passing the test. It really test. isn't that hard. It really. It's not that I was hard. just so anti-school. I didn't like being confined. I didn't like. You know, I just, I love sports. Football kept me in school because mm-hmm. I don't, I, you know, I, I struggle with the thought if I would have made it all the way through if it wasn't for football because school didn't motivate me to go. Yeah. All I know is my mother needed, she was like, listen, I'm paying for school, you're going to school. Because I went to a Catholic school. She was like, I'm putting my heart on work, money rather, and, and you're going to Catholic school and, you know, you'll get the best education that I can afford. And uh, But for me, I didn't care about that because I was selfish. And, he, you know, I thought I was the man. I was playing basketball, I was playing football. Um, had girls, you know. I was, you know, I was I, in my head. I was Dion in high school, and, <laughs> um, 
but I, I wish I would have took my school so much more serious. Yeah. I really do. I, it's, it bothers me to this day when all it takes me to sit my butt down 20 minutes at a table and just just do something, you know, whatever was asking me, but um, I didn't. Is there anything from those high school days, um, like reading-wise or, you know, education-wise, that you're into now that you got into later, like, you know, books or a subject that Yeah, you... I try to read more. Uh, we, me and my fiancé were talking about it earlier. We were talking about, you know, trying to read a book a month and wow. kind of getting that habit of, especially that's, for that's this. That's a big goal. Yeah, considering I want to get into media, that's huge. Yeah. Know, be able to articulate and, and process uh, what you're reading and just kind of, uh, see diction and from a whole different aspects of how people use it is yeah. important. So uh, I try to read more, but I find myself only reading sports. So it's, yeah, yeah she's like, well, you can't just read sports, Willie, damn it. You got to, you got to open up a little bit. So. <laughs> there are some really awesome sports related books, though, that sure. you could probably, so you get like the crossover and still have the element of sports. Right. The um, last book I read was The Outliers. Okay. Uh, Two point, which I thought was amazing. Okay. And, um, that was a really, really good book. That's a good one. A book a month, though, man. That's tough with a lot going on. Really I not. Like I mean, every... you take a shit a day, you can pop a chapter out. <laughs> Think about it. Everybody takes a shit a day. Read it. Man. How long are you on the toilet? I'm a toilet sitter. You're a guy. You're like my husband. It's... I go... Cause so I'm not... Why do y'all need to be in there for be so long? Because when I get out, I know I know the dragon's waiting at the door for me. <laughs> Baby, you got to do this. Baby, you got to do that. Baby, what time you come home? So that's time for me to kind of digest the world. It's and personal it's, space. It is. It's extremely. We yeah. have a thing in my house called Willie Time. Uh -huh. So she's great in observing when I'm in Willie Time. <laughs> she just gets mad when Willie Time gets a little too long. And I, she's like, well, you know, that's, you've been away three hours. Like, bring, <laughs> we, have, we have things to do. So You're a bit of a diva. I am. I am. I'm a, I'm a lot. But, well, I, you're but, lucky I, you found but I sacrifice a lot. So yeah. yeah. Well, you're lucky you found someone who was willing to put up with your... Oh, she's a she's a she's a carousel in herself. So it's yeah. We 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 do well with each other. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay, so from college, you are drafted by the Steelers. Yeah. In two thousand six, fourth round. Mm -hmm. What was draft day like? Wow, draft day was is different from I think anybody else's experience because uh, at the time I had a black uh, it was a razor it was a T-Mobile razor. I remember the phone. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I was staying at my quarterback's house, Bobby Suck who lives in Westbury, Long Island, and uh, I just wanted to get away from the place. And I went, so I went to my sister's house, and it was blazing hot. It was just a hot day, and I slept on a leather couch, so it was rough. And so I watched day one of the draft go by, and day two comes along. And a lot of teams that I thought I was going to get drafted to, like Miami or Buffalo, um, I really thought I was going to go to Miami. And So in your head, you're thinking you're going early rounds? You're going I'm thinking I'm going third. Okay. Yeah, I saw myself going third. Okay. Best pitcher ever. You know, top. That was the dream. Third round. Yeah. Whatever. And uh, I wake up that morning. My phone doesn't work. And I cannot figure out why. Like, I charged it. You know, your agent tells you you have a landline. And I remember the landline that I had gave him was at the house I was staying at. So they didn't have my sister's landline. So I was freaking about, about that. Oh, no. And then the phone I had and my hand just wasn't, wasn't working, and I couldn't figure out, so I was panicking in that, and I'm watching the draft, and I'm watching the rounds go, and I cannot get my phone on. I'm calling T-Mo, like, why is my phone not working? They're like, well, we don't know what you did, whatever. And all of a sudden, the Bills draft, and the Steelers are up, and my phone miraculously turns back on, miraculously. And so my agent calls me. He goes, what are you doing? I'm trying to catch you all morning. What's going on? Um, you know, the Cowboys are going to give you a call. Like, 
So I'm like, blew it, I blew it, bang, whatever. <laughs> so I put my phone down uh, on the kitchen table, and my sister has a terrorist in her house. And I just look over the balcony, and ate, my phone's, you know, the old school ring. And, it's, you know, my sister picks up, she's like, what's 412? What area code is 412? I was like, I don't know, pick it up. She's like, hello? She's like, you know, maybe we talk to William Cologne. And it was Coach Cower. Wow. And uh, he's like, well, you know, we're thinking about picking you up right here. What do you think about being a Pittsburgh Steeler? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. And I turned around, I saw my name go across the ticket, and I just dropped to my knees. Ah. Yeah, and just cried and cried. And my sister's crying, and my brother-in-law's crying. Oh. And it was just, because so much took, you know, it, for, for me, I was just like, after I graduated, I was like, all right, I'm going to get a bouncing job. I'm going to study to be a police officer. So you didn't have, so. No. You didn't, didn't think about the NFL, but like later in college, like while you were approaching it's, so graduation? So my senior year, um, it's weird because all I wanted was to be an All-American. That's all I ever, because I grew up watching Big Ten. Right. So they used to OSHA the, the All-Americans. So those, like, those were the prize guys. So I was like, wow, I want to be like one of those guys one day. So when I got the All-American nod, or the Walter Camp All-American nod, I felt like I won. I was like, all right, I can go off and do what I wanted to do. And my coach. Uh, I think after like my last game, he was coming out the, he was coming out the, our building. And he was in a car, and I was on my way out the building. He's like, "Man, get over here!" So I'm sitting in the car with him. He's like, "I need you to take this serious." And I'm like, All right, "Coach, I'm the only one who takes football serious. Like, what are you talking about?" He's like, "There's a lot of scouts that are, you know, coming to look for you. They're interested. You know, you really need to start putting this thing together in your mind that you're gonna you know, potentially have a shot, legit shot." just in case you don't get drafted or if you do get drafted, that you're going to be playing for somebody one day. And I was just like, and that's when I started, you know, talking to agents and that whole process. And then that was a lot for me because I was just kind of just, you know, feeling my way through that. But after I had graduated, I was, all right, now how am I going to pay $500 rent? I was, my, my guy, my quarterback, Bobby, who I was staying with, he charged me $500 rent. So I knew I had to bounce three jobs. So I got $200 for each job. And my third job was just probably, you know, food and whatever I can just survive to. I get, So I was living literally like that. And wow. I was extremely, like, okay with it. Like, I didn't have a car. I had two girlfriends who I was using their car to get around. And uh -huh. They were driving me and feeding me. So <laughs> I was very much, like, living that kind of college life. I didn't really think past that. Uh -huh. And then so it was very much God sent. The guy was like, all right, Willie, let me help you out here. And. Oh my goodness. Cool. So, yeah. So what was the agent process like for you? Agent process is a lot because you want to go into it being egotistical, like, well, you know, who are you? And But I was very much like, listen, I just want to play football. What can you do? What are you willing to do? And I had Joseph Linter uh, out of Connecticut, mm -hmm. and he's a small school wonder guy. He had Will Shields, and he had a bunch of Andrewsy and a bunch of uh, Patriots and a couple other known guys that he had. Uh, you know, that kind of, he has Joe Flacco currently right now. So he had made his name with a lot of guys. And mm -hmm. um, and I was like, all right, dude, like, whatever. Just tell me what to do. And he took care of training and, and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I, and that's one thing you have to realize for all you young guys coming out. Whatever you take from your agent, you have to pay back. Like, it, it doesn't, there's no such thing as they're looking out for you. Like, if you borrow money, you got to pay them back. Yeah. The hard part is sometimes it feels like they're looking out for you. Do you know what I mean? But you got to just realize are, that they're It's a business. Agent, and they right? are your agent. And you forget. And then you're like, oh, man, now I have to pay you like almost a, like a lot of my money? Yeah. like Damn. Ten, if you spend two racks of that money, yeah, you got to pay him back. Yeah. And if you fire him, he's definitely coming to get it. He's going to come <laughs> to get it regardless. So. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Okay, so drafted by the Steelers, and uh, you win the starting job at the end of your first season or into the second season? You win the starting uh, Well, my second season, I got the nod. But going into that OTAs, that spring season, yeah. You knew? Yeah. And what was that like for you? Did you have to fight it out over somebody else? And it was a battle? very sensitive time because the guy that I was going through with it was Max Starks, and he was kind of like a big brother to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was somebody who, you know, after practice would work with me and kind of show me the ropes. And just even off the field kind of helped me, you know, because I was extremely New York. Like, there's no other city better than New York. So Pittsburgh was like, what is this? You know? And, um, <laughs> this small market. Get it yeah, out of like, here. Yeah, like, who are these people? Why am I here? You know, just totally a nut job about Pittsburgh, but he kind of helped me, you know, massage out there, did like, you know, listen, this is going to be your home, you know, embrace these people, embrace the culture, embrace what everything Pittsburgh has to offer. And I ended up falling in love with it. But at the time when we go through the competition battle, I was extremely determined to win um, to the point where I stopped becoming his friend. And it was hard for him because he was like, you know, I helped you. you know, I was there for you, helped you move in and took you out to eat, showed you the life. And when it, when I found out it came between me and him winning the job, I just went straight, you know, death mode on him. I was like, it was, you know, and that was intense. And I, and for me, um, I have that cold streak. I know I do. Mm-hmm. And from him, he didn't understand it because, you know, for me, I was jealous of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he was Super Bowl. He already had won a Super Bowl. He was from Florida University. Uh, you know, he, him and his mom was doing chunky soup commercials. <laughs> he already had a contract. He had a sneaker deal. So he was everything I wanted. Yeah. And here I was a guy out of Hofstra that nobody really knew. They knew I was a New York kid. I was tough and scrappy, but that's all they knew about me. So um, I was extremely selfish and in, in, in trying to, you know, trying to appease him by any way. Because if, in my mind, it was like either you're eating or I'm eating. And I'm eating. Well, right, because doesn't in part of your mind say, like, I have to shut this friendship down yeah. because I'm competing with you and I don't want it to seem like, you know, I'm being a bad person to you. I just have to, like, you that's literally exactly, have to put a shield up. That's exactly what happened. And, and for him, it was tough because as the battle was going on, you know, it was it was, it was was noticeable that I was coming ahead and, you know, down to the wire. What, you know, what was the age gap between you guys at that a time? A year or two. Okay. Yeah, so it was, he was like, damn, like, you know, I helped you out. Now you're turning your back on me. And I was like, I got to eat. And I was Survival like, I'm, mode. I'm not going back to this $500 rent and no <laughs> I car. I can't be a bouncer anymore. Yeah, I'm not bouncing. I'm, t- I'm tired of the street fights. I'm, I'm you know, I, 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 I was extremely hungry. I just really was extremely hungry. Um, my mindset was kill or be killed. And I just, and then after I, you know, won the job and kind of got the nod, it was hard for him because he ended up getting benched. Right. And he didn't really get back in there until the left tackle got hurt, which was Marvell Smith, Smith, and then he kind of got the role, his his role at left tackle. <coughs> so it was a lot for him to, because he was the pride of Pittsburgh. You know, he was, you know, it was everything. He was in the orchestra. He was on this board. He was, you know, he was kind of like the face in, in some aspects, and uh, um, you know, it was hard. Did um, when you let's go back to you being a bouncer real quick. Any crazy stories, like from you throwing people out, or oh, I've got I have a lot of stories. Give me like some of your your favorite ones that. Well, stick I'm gonna out say this: girls are the worst fights to break up. <laughs> what is that? Girls do not know how to stop a fight. Girls get like this this claw grip. I don't know. It's like they they grow extra claws like Wolverine, <laughs> and they go for the hair, and they both snatch on. So one time I was in Bridgeview, uh, in right there in Long Beach, Long Island, where I was bouncing. And so there was, uh, we were, I, worked at, I worked the techno room, if you will. Okay. 
and I sat in a beach chair. That was my post, right? And I, and I saw, because it was like high up so you could oversee the crowd. Like a lifeguard chair? Yeah, like a oh, lifeguard okay, chair, okay. yes. So they had us all kind of propped up so we could see from far and if something broke out, we can get to it right away. Uh-huh. So, so I'm in my chair and I'm looking, you know, it's bum, 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 everybody's going crazy. And I look over and I see there's these bushes like right here and I see them shaking like, like, like somebody's like coming out of them, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting in my chair and I'm like, and I'm like over the earpiece, I'm like, you see that over there? And the other guy that was over there, he's like, no, I don't see it. So I get up off my chair and I walk over there and it's two girls by themselves behind these bushes, flat out having it at, like <laughs> just scrapping. And so I'm like, we had a fight right here. And so considering that was the, the club was so packed, it took the guys a minute to get there. So it's me and these two little girls and I mean, they're locked on. So I'm like, let each other go. Stop, 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 stop. They don't hear none of that. So I end up picking one girl up like this. And my other buddy came on enough time. He picked the other girl. And we're trying to like literally pull them apart. And they're stretching like this. Oh my God. And they're trying, to, they're trying to rip each other's hair out, <laughs> literally. And so another one of bouncing literally had to grab both of their hands and try to apply it. It was insane. And so I'm saying they're like, stop. So I got the one girl off. The other girl goes the other way. And then somehow they met outside the club. And it turned into a rumble tumble fest. Oh, and girls, like guys, we like bang, 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 bang. We'll talk on mess. All right, see you later. Girls, no. They it's kind a lot of like, emotion going it's, on there. It was, it was fiery. <laughs> I don't know what they had going on, but I hope they, hope they squabbled it off. It's over. My favorite bouncer story from when I was in college um, was I was a little bit of a shithead, right? <laughs> I, had, I had a little bit of a dumb, drunk ego. Like when I would get drunk yeah. and have like this self-confidence that came beer out of muscles. nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Beer muscles, yeah. yeah, liquid confidence. Sure. So uh, I was sitting around in bar stools with a bunch of my girlfriends, and I went to use the bathroom, and I said to my girlfriends, like, you know, save my seat, I'll be right back. And when I come back, my seat's gone. Mm -hmm. And I said to my girlfriends, I'm like, you know, where'd my seat go? Right. And they're like, oh, that chick over there came over and took it. I'm like, well, what do you mean she just took it? They're like, well, we told her it was yours. She said she didn't care, and she just took it. And there's nothing, like, we were gonna fight her, there's nothing we could do. I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go say something to her about it. Yeah. So I walk over and they're all, all her group of friends, she's sitting on the stool, they're all snickering. She's got her back towards me. But they're all snickering there, like she knows that I'm coming over. Sure. So instead of saying anything or fighting her, I just pull the stool out from under her and she falls flat on her ass. No way. And I think I'm hilarious, right? I'm coming back with the stool with my friends. I'm like, hi, look what I did. Like, I'm so cool. And you know, like, and they're all laughing and I think it's so funny. Like three minutes later, I get tapped on my shoulder. I turn around, the girl hits me so, Ooh. so hard in the face. I was like, ah! <laughs> Ow! Bitch! What? I was so mad. Uh, and the bouncer ended up seeing that and kicking her out. So I was like, you know, see ya, sweetie. But I had like a big red patch on my face. So this I didn't really, like, yeah, oh yeah, totally. Okay. So like no one really made out really that well, but right. it was a little bit of an ego uh Should've check. just tapped him like, hey, I think that was my chair you took. Yeah, I don't think that would've gone over very well. Yeah. You just felt like I'm just getting this chair back. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to try and, you know, show off my... Every action has a reaction. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So. so I got it real quick. That was my karma. Um, any fighting? Did you ever do any fighting? Yeah. Yeah? A yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Winning all of them or no? Did you ever get beat up? I've been put in some tough situations. I never. I don't think I've ever got stomped out or nothing like that. Right. I've been, uh, I've been, had to take two on one before. What are you guys fighting over, girls? No, no. All my, most of my fights have been with, because of bouncing, you know, and. Really? Yeah. Fighting on the football field too, or just bouncing? Oh, I'm known for fighting on the football field. I'm always fighting on the field. Yeah. Just because, you know, my role and identity, I've kind of, you know, 
taken on was being an enforcer. And when I was at Pittsburgh, you know, everybody knows Ben makes $100 million. And, right. and, and you can't have your $100 million quarterback getting socked in the face or somebody cheap shot him because, one, he can't swing because he has to throw the ball. You don't want him to break in his hand. And so I was always the guy that was coming to, you know, back up any one of my teammates or, or Ben, for that matter, because, you know, those little guys, they get picked on by the big guys. And right. so it's, it's the duty of those big guys to kind of back them up, and I always took pride in that. You and Ben are really close? Yeah. Still close? Yeah. Uh, what do we not know about Ben that we need to know about? Uh, I think that he's probably he's sensitive. He's a sensitive man uh, mm -hmm. that he does. Uh, I think, you know, because of his role and who he is and everything that comes along that he's built up, um, that people don't realize that he does care what people say and how they react to him. You know, he's mm -hmm. a father of three now. He's, a he's totally, totally changed his shell. Um, and he's a Christian man, and he cares. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, all the, the hurtful comments that you see, rapist burger and all that other stuff, you mm -hmm. know, um, it's tough because he has a daughter. You know, yeah. he has two sons, and they're going to be biggins, and they're going to have to, when they Google their dad, and that pops up. So um, it's tough It's tough to swallow and see him go through that because I know he was his, he has a beautiful family. Yeah. Beautiful family. Yeah. And um, I know... It hurts their heart to kind of hear some of the things that people say to him. Did you talk him through any of that when he was going through that, or were you just kind of? Oh yeah, I was there for him. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it was, I think it was so bigger than us. It was so bigger than him. You yeah. Know, we he had kind of had to, you know, really change who he was inside and out to get to a better place, and I think he's done that. When you walk around Pittsburgh, are you the man? People notice you, walk up to you, recognize. No, you? I haven't been to Pittsburgh in a while. I, when you were there. Where are they? Yeah, yeah. Because like, how often were you recognized when you would just walk down the street when you were there? Well, and was it different pre and post Super Bowl? Super Bowl was worse. Right. Super Bowl because you're just, I mean, the, one of the coolest moments is we were on Ben's plane and uh, we were going to Vegas uh, and it, on the billboard said, welcome Super Bowl champs. And it had our face. And, and I was just like, what? And I remember sitting next to Darnell uh, Stapleton, my right guard, who played next to me on that line. And we were just like, yeah, we made it. <laughs> and uh, so, so that was one of the coolest moments. But um, I think for me, it's just a matter of, you know, I, I just lived, I, I just lived in the moment. Yeah. And I, I took it for what it was, and I never, um, like, I don't ever plan to be the guy at 50 still talking about Super Bowl 43 and, and at the end but of the. But why bar. not? It's, it's the because I, I think pinnacle of your career. It it's is the greatest thing you could possibly accomplish. As well, a football player. It is. But I think one of the things that I plan to accomplish is being a father. Okay. Like I want that to be one of my proudest moments because I knew how my father looked at me and my brothers and how they like, the pride in his eye. And I yeah. want that feeling like, yeah, there goes my boy. You okay. know, that he's gonna he I'm passing down this insanity that <laughs> that he's gonna have in his blood that he can't control. And that's and my father was an extremely passionate man and uh so I know I, I inherit that and I'm gonna pass that down and so I think having a family would be probably one of my proudest moments. What do you describe to other people, you know, when somebody asks you, like, what does it take to win a Super Bowl? Yeah. What do you say to that? Like, how do you, how, can you even answer that? Yeah. It's a lot, huh? It's, well, it's a lot if you're, if you're coming into it with the mindset that everything you need to do to win relies on you. And that's the most, you lost because nothing you can, you can train as hard as you want. You can eat as great as you want. You can be the best you want. That doesn't guarantee you a Super Bowl. Right. It takes a team. It literally takes a team to be so egoless, such a family, 
so insane, so battle ready and so driven internally mm -hmm. to get through uh, games where you know half the team is in shambles. I mean, physically, they're just scrapped up and beat up, but you gotta persevere through that. When you're gonna have incidents in a locker room that could possibly divide the locker room, but that team mends it and moves on from it. And you gotta have a strong coach and you gotta have people who are, who are literally willing to maybe die for that. And I mean, taking medication that may put you in some risk or doing some things that, you know, may put you at risk just to suit up on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So it takes, uh, it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of, you know, even families, the wives, you know, the kids, you know, they're entrenched because they're, you know, dad may not be there for the week. You know, he's trying to be the best he can or recover just a time to be ready for Sunday. So you're talking about everybody, you know, from front office down to outside the families pulling for one goal and you got to get lucky sometimes and you got to be right. You know, you got to be right when just when you need to be right. And so all that kind of has to manifest and, and, and work all in one on one day. And that's Sunday. How much of it is mental versus physical? It's it's I it's like if you had to break it down into percentage. Well, I think I've seen a lot of talented teams never win. Um, mental is always going to outbeat the physical physical and I tell you a story, I remember when we, I think it was the year we were running the Super Bowl, we were going for the Super Bowl, we were playing the Patriots, and I can remember Coach Tomlin coming in the room and he said, we have to change our outlook about playing this team. He goes, I know we are the, are the tougher team. We can take this team in the back alley and destroy them. The problem is they're just as tough but smarter. We're not as smart as them. And we was just like, and everybody was like dumbfounded, like, oh, what do you mean? Like, right, yeah. And he was totally right. They don't beat themselves, penalty-wise. Mm -hmm. They execute at a high level. They're extremely sufficient in the red zone. They're extremely sufficient in special teams. They don't give you anything. Mm -hmm. They play to their beat and they win, uh, you know, in attrition. They, they, they just do, they don't ride the ebb and flow. They're not very an emotional team, you know. Mm -hmm. You don't see... You know, when they have a bad snap or something, you don't see the whole sideline, ah, oh, we lost. No, they they ride the wave. They stay steady. Yep. That's signs of a great team. And that's why I'm never surprised that the Patriots overcome things that, like, man, how do they do it? Because they stay right here. And Belichick is right here. And, you know, they're not afraid of the fire. They're not afraid of the good times or bad times. They just stay right there. And we had, we had to get there. We had to understand, like, the tough games, we can't, you know, we got to stay right here and push through it. And... Um, there were some games that season that I felt like we won, you know, we won through that because of that mindset. Uh -huh. I was talking to Mookie Wilson recently and I was asking him, you know, where his World Series ring was and I was really surprised to learn that it's in a case, in a safe, and he never touches it's mine. it. It's me. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever wear it ever? I wore it for the first time. Uh, I did media day out in San Francisco and I wore it and I didn't, it didn't feel comfortable because really? it's big and my knuckles are crooked. My hands are all crooked. Uh -huh. um, but it's, it's it's such an intimate piece of who I am that I don't like to look at it. Like I, it took me a damn near. It took oh, me. That's it, so. It took me a year to watch the game, because it was it, it was so bigger than me. I was just a, a speck on what it took to get there. The journey was what meant more. You know, the line that I played with was. I mean, the start of that season, my right guard Darnell, Darnell Stumpton. Uh, came off a knee scope in the preseason to come back for the Philly game to make the team. Uh -huh. I mean, his knee was in shambles. Yeah. Ended up making the team. The guy who was in front of him, Kenneth Sinners, ended up tearing his Achilles. Darnell's the starting right guard. Matt Starks, 
who I had beat for the competition job, was on the bench. Marcus Morrell Smith was the left tackle who uh, ended up going on IR because his back was out. Justin Hartwick was a new center. Chris Kimonto was uh, the only station ever left guard, and he was going into his second year at starting. And I was kind of like the, the vet a little bit amongst that group. Um, and we had to all make that work, you know. And it, you, people don't realize to play in offensive line, it's not so much of – the physical aspect is just the chemistry, the the, the nonverbal we have to build up, the, the trust and belief that, you know, where I'm going, this guy has my back, and where he's going, I'm, I'm on time to have his back. And now we're all, we're flowing. We had to do that all in, in kind of, you know, in a makeshift way and to scramble. And we go through some dog fights. We, you know, we, you know, when we get together and we do have drinks, we talk about the dog fights. We don't talk about the days where we did score five touchdowns. We talk about like, man, remember we, we, we felt like we was out there left in a desert to die? <laughs> You know, those games is what we laugh at because that builds the chemistry and the trust to know that the guy next to you was just as vulnerable and just as hurt and just as banged up and had the same type of fight to get through this alongside of you is what builds an offensive line. And then when you do come out of it on the winning side, it just makes it better. But when you lose, it even makes it more better because you're both feeling the same thing. Right. So to build that is that 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 goes on to off the field. I mean, if Darnell called me or Max called me right now, I mean, I would come, I would take the nearest plane to get to him mm -hmm. because you know that they they was going to, if it took to lose their life on that field, they was going to do it with you. And that's something you can never speak about. If you told your younger self that not only <clears throat> were you going to win a Super Bowl, but you were never going to wear your ring, would you, I mean, like, would young Willie freak out and think that that was so weird? He'd probably just be like, okay. And then like, <laughs> all right. Like, you probably wouldn't even know how to digest it. Um, <laughs> it's, it I'm, I'm blessed, man. Yeah. Yeah, I feel it. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your um, your fandom here in New York. Sure. You are a Knicks and Yankees fan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How do you feel about the Knicks this year? I like them. I'm optimistic. You know, for me, it's what else do we have to look forward to? We've... Does it bother you that two-fifths of your starting lineup is uh, our Bulls? Like, essentially, they just took Chicago no. and transplanted them here to New York? Because I feel like one of the... You know, when they signed on, one of, the, one of the things I loved from what they said, they wanted to be here. You know, Valor, we had to pay him and kind of move mountains to get him here, but they wanted to be here. Yeah. Excuse me, Joe King being a New Yorker, you know, I've, I remember when he was playing at Riverside Church and I would watch him. So, uh, and I've always been a Derrick Rose fan. I've always loved him. I so like it's, lot, uh, yeah. you know, those guys, I love them. I love Mello. I mean, I think Mello is the one guy who, you know, people give him a lot of hell, but I think, you know, he can't win it by himself. Right. No, no great legend has done it by themselves, and you know it takes a lot. So this team that they've built, and I think Phil's, you know, manifested a good team, and we just gotta hope they stay healthy. Do you think Melo having the Olympic gold and not having an NBA championship will be enough for his career? I mean, Barkley's in that same category, yeah, right? But I think we'll Barkley, I think Barkley, yeah, but I think Barkley's such a outward personality that it kind of masked that he didn't win, you know, because yeah, I think he brings it upon himself, huh? Sure. <laughs> I think it's funny because he gets a pass for anything that he says. It's true. You know, he can say anything. Literally, I've heard some things. I'm like, well, he's not going to have a job no more. It's like, oh, there he goes again. And yeah. it's fine. Yeah. I think Melo is defined because he's, you know, he left Denver to come to New York and he was our sa supposed to be our saving grace. And we kind of haven't cast in that aspect. But I definitely believe he's, he's given us all he has. And so 
Um, the fact that the Calvary's kind of come in some way. You know, I hope we can stay healthy and we can just make a playoff run. Because New York fans, they just want to see you be competitive. Right. That's all they want. They, we, we understand if championships happen, we're going to party, we're going to burn it down. But if we can at least <laughs> be competitive and talk some trash to a guy from Chicago, Boston, or L.A., then yeah. we'll feel good about ourselves. But if we have to sit, I was at a bar in Florida. I was at Damon Snacks Harrison's wedding, uh-huh. talking to a guy from Chicago, the bartender, and he was killing me <laughs> about the Knicks. And I was trying to kill him back, but everything, he was just zinging me, zinging me, zinging. And I was just like, oh, well. You want to be able to have a dog in the race. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That's all New Yorkers want. Yeah. 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 That's why we wear the jerseys, the throwbacks. Except when they get greedy, because let me tell you, Yankees fans, you have so many championships, yet when you have one losing season or you're down, the seats are empty. There's nobody up at that stadium. Because we're spoiled. Spoiled, for sure. Smug fans. Totally. Extremely smug. Yeah. yeah. It, so it must be interesting for you to be both a Knicks and a Yankees fan because it's almost opposite ends of the spectrum, at least recently, well, and in I, and your lifetime. Well, I think the Yankees are a team that they're so historically based. I don't ever see them not really doing well. Like, I think there's so much money built into that entrance in that organization. And baseball money... money regardless, that we're always going to kind of have the cream of the crop popping pop in and out. So it's, I'm not worried about the Yankees. The Knicks, I just want to see us kind of pick it up more. I'm more worried about the Knicks and Yankees, trust me. As a football player, do you ever look at those baseball contracts and go like, whoa? Yeah, I mean, you do, but I think it's just the owners own us. You know, owners own us. And, we, you know, unless as, a, as, a, as ball players, footballers, uh, if we don't kind of come together and really – try to unionize, uh, we'll never have a chance against, you know, the gods, the, the juggernauts that the owners are. So <laughs> we got to do better as players. Okay. Um, Willie, we end every podcast with an embarrassing story. So you have to tell me an embarrassing story from your past. It could be oh. any age. It could be from your career or not. Anything that you can think of, it just has to be really embarrassing. God, I was just, we were just telling this one. I, so I was, we was telling, I told the story yesterday, so I'm going to tell it again. Me and my lady were flying from L.A., I mean from New York to L.A. I, I always eat before I get on a plane because I don't really like airplane food. Mm-hmm. So I try to like get food in me and kind of, you know, drink a little bit so I can mellow out. And then I, I sleep on planes well. Anyway. Okay. So I get on, the, we get on a plane. Everything's fine. We're in first class. And like two hours into the flight, my stomach is like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, man, this isn't good. So I'm like, all right, I got to use the bathroom. So I get up. I go into the bathroom, and so uh, I'm now trying to figure out how I'm going to sit on this toilet. Like, I got to sit down because I got to go, and it's I got to go now. So, like, bet, drop the trousers, and I sit on the toilet, and I'm reaching for the door, mm-hmm. right? And as I'm pulling it, it's banging against my knees. My knees are kind of poking out from the bathroom of, of the plane. And so I'm sitting on this toilet, and I'm banging the door, and it's banging against my knees. I'm sitting on the toilet. And so I'm like, damn, like I can't even scoot up no more. I'm like my knees are gonna be over my neck if I keep doing this. <laughs> so I look out in the first class cabin and my fiance, she's like, Oh my God, like you're so embarrassing right now. <laughs> so my belt is like caught at the bottom side of the door. And I'm trying to pull this door to close and it would not close. So I end up having to do my business and hold the door cracked like this as I'm blowing a nuke in this damn toilet. <laughs> and I had to do all that, like clean myself up. I'm doing all this trying to hold with one uh, hand. One hand. <laughs> and I let the door I let the door go come out. And we were like sitting in a row two, and a guy in front of us is like, he's looking at me like the ultimate shame face. Like I can't even like I don't even know who you are, but that was the most grossest thing I've ever heard and seen you do. 
And so I sit down, and the whole plane, everybody in the first class is like, like I'm the worst human being ever. <laughs> how and could I, you? And I, like, how can you blow up the bathroom in first class? And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I, well, I wasn't gonna shit on myself. So I was like, you got to eat it. You couldn't like buy the first class round of drinks or anything like that? No, I went right to sleep. <laughs> I went right to sleep, slept the whole plane ride, got off the plane like nothing ever happened. Amazing. So. We had Jeff Schwartz actually tell a very similar story where he blew up the bathroom and a guy who was in uh, first class tweeted him about it and tweets him every six months since it happened about it. Just the to anniversary? Him. Yeah, yeah, just to remind him. Well, thank God nobody, I don't know if they did, but they were very polite and never. There you go. Well, now everyone me. from the podcast will tweet you, so you'll have that. I'm an I'm a airplane buster right there. <laughs> Uh, Willie, free agent going into the season. Yeah. How do we feel about going into the season? Feels so good right now. Uh, I'm just training, keep staying loose, and uh, you know, come September, make a call and see what happens. Okay. Good yeah. luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for being Thanks here. Thanks for having me on. It was really fun. appreciate it. Where can people find you on Twitter, Instagram? Willie Cologne sixty six on IG and Twitter. I'm there. Great. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. All right. Kyle, thank you, Studio Crew. Nate, thank for being here, and let's go get a snack.